freshman year. <laughs> Jeremy, this year was really fun. I am glad that we had some classes together. Maybe next year we'll have more. Well, have a really fun summer. Oh, yeah, thanks for all of the English help. Maybe I'll see you this summer. Bye. Love always, Kaylee. Dear Jeremy, you are one cool guy. We've had some fun times. I didn't, didn't get to talk to you much this year, but hopefully we can hang out over the summer and next year. Keep playing bass from Ted. Jeremy, it was great having you in class. Love, XOXO, Franny. P.S. You're an odd bean. Hello, Jeremy Kays. It's been a whole heap of fun sitting next to ya in Spanish. You are one cool guy. Hope ya have a great summer. See ya next year. And that didn't happen because he, uh, he went to jail after bringing a toy gun to uh, Taco Bell trying to hold him up. Jeremy, it was great getting to know you this year. You have great taste in music. Good luck with your band. I want to be able to say I know you when you sell out and get rich and famous. Huh. Have a great summer and keep in touch. I'll need someone to talk to. Much love, Elena. Yo, germs! Sup, man? It was fun knowing you this semester. See you later. And they wrote in cursive, so I don't know who, who that was. Jeremy, thank you for all your help this year and for being such a perfect, underlined, student. You have helped make my first year good. Have a great summer. Keep playing soccer. And that's what you get when you have your science teacher sign your yearbook. Jeremy, I had tons of fun this year getting to know you. I hope you have a great summer without me, sad face, JK. It's already making me cry. So anyways, I hope next year we have more classes together. Well, actually, a class, since PE doesn't count. Hey, maybe next year one of us will be able to drive, and we won't have to walk home anymore. Call me over the summer, 383-6638. Love ya, Lauren. So the other day, I'm at a coffee shop, and uh, I walk in, and there's the regular sitting there in the leather-bound chair, the regular who always likes to tie you up in conversation and hold you hostage, disallowing you from doing anything for hours, it seems. And so I walk into the coffee shop, and you know, I'm a, a pastor, loving, caring, generous, kind, passionate, world-changer, following Jesus, and here's what I do. I just... Like, do not make eye contact. Do not head in his direction. And I did my very best at not loving the world one person at a time, staring directly into my computer. And it worked. Praise the Lord. He didn't even know I was there. I was pretending like I was invisible. And about 15 minutes later, he stands up, grabs his paper, his empty cup of coffee, and he walks out the door. <sighs> Relief runs through my body. And as I watch him leave, I, I noticed that there was someone sitting right next to him that I didn't even notice before. It was a young high school student, and in a coffee shop full of people who were frowning and grimacing and just blank stares waiting for the caffeine to hit, 
he was beaming, smile across his face, never, never failing. I'm like, what, what is going on? I shift in my seat to see what's, what's he smiling about. And in his hands, he's holding a thick, heavy, hardback book. I look closer, it's a yearbook filled of words and scribbles, truths and promises and hopes and dreams about him and to him. Hope you have a great summer. It was so fun getting to meet you this year. You're an odd bean. Keep playing bass. You're the perfect student. He beams. And I think that's kind of like the book of Psalms. It's a lot like that. A collection of words and hopes and dreams and truths and promises to God and about God, but also to us and about us. There are 150 of them in the Bible, and I think they're for every season. And as we enter into the summer season, what better way to enter than by beaming? So welcome to the first week of our new sermon series, The Psalms of Summer, where we're going to explore words, hopes, dreams, truths, and promises about God and about us and all that it means for our world. So the book of Psalms contains 150 different psalms spanning the length of time from the 15th to the 3rd century B.C. And you may be asking, well, what's a psalm? Well, it's a poem, a prayer, a song offered to God, like Psalm 1. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither and they prosper in all they do. So basically, you do good and you get good. But not the wicked. They are like worthless chaff scattered by the wind. They will be condemned at the time of judgment. Sinners will have no place among the godly, for the Lord watches over the path of the godly. But the path of the wicked leads to destruction. So like you do bad and you get bad. And this is a song, a poem, a prayer offered to God and through God and also about us and to us. And you know what? Sounds so like this or that, right or wrong. Do good, get good, do bad, get bad. And I think it's actually the perfect way to open up the collection of Psalms with the ideal. Because you see, from this point forward, everything gets really complicated and really messy. We thought it was the ideal. Uh, you do good and you get good. You do bad, you get bad. But that's not always how life works. Like, why, why do bad things happen to good people? Or why do good things happen to bad people? And those are the questions that the psalmists wrestle with in the book of Psalms. But I think the better question is when. When bad things happen. Or when good things happen, what do you do? And I think that's what the Psalms are helping us with. With some of life's most messy and complicated issues, the Psalms are expressions of praise, of faith, of sorrow and frustration. Some Psalms treasure the heart of wisdom while others reveal the troubled soul of a mourner. 
Still others explode with praise to God and invite others to join in the song. Psalms are all different, but they're unified under this one concept, that they're centered and based upon the one and only living God, the creator God, the king of all the earth, and a refuge to all who trust in him. And the Psalms teach us that profound change happens always in the presence of God. And the reality that we draw from that is that people who pray are people living in hope. Sophomore year. Hey, Jeremy. Wow, I can't believe this year is already over. Woohoo! Smiley face. It was a lot of fun having you in my classes again this year. You know, all the smart ones. Hee hee. And seeing you at church. Thanks for being such an awesome friend. I hope you have a great summer. Love ya lots. Adios. Love always. P.S. You smell, smiley face, and I'm not even joking. He, he, he. There's <laughs> a lot there to take in, and it might seem like simple words and phrases, hopes and dreams and truths and promises, but there were some, some two key concepts in there. Thanks and love. Thanks and love. Two of the most heartfelt expressions that we as human beings can both give and receive. And you add those two things together, thanks and love, you get praise. And that's why I want to start today with Psalm 136, a psalm of praise. And you know, psalms are sung in the full awareness. These psalms of praise are sung in the full awareness of the unrelenting difficulty of human life. Like, life is really hard, and it really sucks sometimes. But somehow, these psalmists find the strength and the ability, the love and thanks to offer praise to God. Praising God is not flattery. It's the most serious human business that we can undertake. And through praise, thanks plus love, we discover how much we, in fact, have already been given. Psalm 136, verse 1 says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. He is the very definition of good, of what it means to be good. You may ask, well, what is good? How do you define what is good? God. God is the means by which everything is judged to be good. Why? Because his faithful love endures forever. Le'olam chas do. Everybody say that with me. Le'olam chas do. You have no idea what you just said, and that's okay, because we're going to do a quick Hebrew lesson. Le'olam. Say it with me. Le'olam. And remember, in Hebrew, we're going from right to left. We're like backwards. And so we're starting with that squiggly lightning bolt, number seven, sort of. Look, it's a letter. Lamed. Everyone say Lamed. Lamed. You sound so happy about it. Lamed. And lamed is a preposition, meaning two or four. So two or four, and we add that to olam. Everyone say olam. So it means something like to the ages, or for forever, or eternity, or everlasting. And our next word that we're going to add, leolam chasdo, chasda, you got it, right? You see at the very end, which is the far left, it looks like a high sticking penalty, like that hockey stick or golf club with a little ball or puck on top. So that's a vav, and that's showing ownership here. 
is his. That's God's. This is belonging to God. What belongs to God? Chesed. What's chesed? Chesed is like a father who wakes up early every Saturday morning, three or four in the morning, steps out into the bitter cold and trudges through the snow three or four blocks to the bus stop. He gets on the bus and travels three hours across state lines. And there the bus puts him off at a maximum security prison. And there, as he walks forward to go spend a 30-minute visit with his son on death row, he reflects on all the memories, teaching him how to ride his bike and taking off the training wheels finally. A can of peaches on a hot summer night, blood all over the kitchen sink after a, a loose tooth had been dangling there for the last week. He gets to uh, the visitation room and he's separated by a pane of thick glass. And there he sees his son and he spends time over the phone. 30 minute visit. And after their time is done, he hangs up the phone and puts his hand on the glass and mouths the words to his son I love you. Leaves, gets on the bus, takes it three hours back home. And he does this rain, slun, sleet, or snow every single Saturday without fail. That is chesed, steadfast, faithful love, loyal love at its very highest. So we put it all together. Le'olam chasdo, say it with me. Le'olam chasdo, to the ages or for forever, eternity everlasting is his steadfast, faithful love. Psalm 136, verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Le'olam chasdo. And I'm going to need your help because this is not an individual psalm. This is a communal psalm. This is a psalm of recitation where it goes back and forth. So say it with me. Le'olam chasdo. So we're going to try this out. Verse 2 says, give thanks to the God of gods. Le'olam chasdo. If you don't know it, just hakalugi. It sounds... The same. Give thanks to the Lord of Lords. Le'olam chasdo. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who alone does mighty miracles. Le'olam chasdo. You're sounding like marginally better than first service, but I think we can do a little bit better than that. Give thanks to him who made the heavens so skillfully. Le'olam chasdo. Give thanks to him who placed the earth among the waters. Le'olam chasdo. Give thanks to him who made the heavenly lights, the sun to rule the day. Le'olam chasdo. And the moon and stars to rule the night. Le'olam chasdo. Give thanks to him who killed the firstborn of Egypt. Le'olam hasdo. I thought we were dealing with a tame, nice God. The God who doesn't want to ruffle any feathers. He doesn't want to make you feel uncomfortable. Uh, No, I don't know where you got that. Our God is a dangerous God. He's not safe, but he's good. And perhaps our idea of goodness needs redefining. Because, you see, we live in a culture that will make you believe that you have the right to decide what is good. That if it's fun, it must be good. That if it's pleasurable, it must be good. That if it doesn't harm anybody, it must be good. But what if it harms God? 
We never ask that question. What if it grieves God's spirit? Do you realize the only one in heaven and on earth with the right, with the authority to decide what is good and what is not good is God? Why? Because he's God. Also because he is good. Remember, he is the very definition of what is good. Goodness comes from him. It is his invention. What is good? How do you describe good? It is the character of God. God is the measure by which anything is judged good. Why? Le'olam chasdo. His faithful love endures forever. But don't think for a second that he's safe or that he's tame. He cannot stand for sin and pride and injustice. Why? Because he's good. Also because he's God. And so here the psalmist remembers the hands down foremost miracle for the Israelite people of God's goodness, unwilling to stand for the sin, pride, and justice of slavery in Egypt. There in the book of Exodus, it happens in Egypt where we see the event of the Passover, the death of the firstborn of Egypt, which produces the result and the rescue of the Israelite people from slavery. He brought Israel out of Egypt. Say it with me. Le'olam chasto. He acted with a strong hand and a powerful arm. Le'olam chasto. Give thanks to him who parted the Red Sea. Le'olam chasto. He led Israel safely through. Le'olam chasto. But he hurled Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea. Le'olam chasto. Give thanks to him who led his people through the wilderness. Le'olam chasto. <laughs> 40 years, was it? Google Maps says six days, four hours by foot. But when you're dealing with 600,000 people going this way and that, half of them want to go back to slavery in Egypt. The other half are trying to worship anything they can get their hands on. You're bound to, meet your, uh, to miss your anticipated GPS arrival time. But still, even if we are faithless, he is still faithful. Le'olam chasto. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who struck down mighty kings. Le'olam chasto. He killed powerful kings. Le'olam chasto. Don't fail on me. Keep it up. Keep it up. Sihon, king of the Amorites. Le'olam chasto. And Og, king of Bashan. Le'olam chasto. These are Canaanite kings that God defeats. God gave the land of these kings as an inheritance. Le'olam chasto. A special possession to a servant Israel. Le'olam chasto. He remembered us in our weakness. Le'olam chasto. And it's like everything zeroes in here on the psalmist and their world. And I would dare to say on us, in our world too, that he remembers us in our weakness. He saved us from our enemies. Le'olam chasto. He gives food to every living thing. Le'olam chasto. And finally, one last time, he give thanks to the God of heaven. Le'olam chasto. His faithful love endures forever. Thanks and love Thanks plus love equals praise, the most serious human business that we can undertake. And through this thanks and love equals praise, we discover how much we have, in fact, already been given. It's like reading a yearbook, looking back at all the seasons uh, and emotions, joy and sadness, frustration, and realizing you were never alone. 
that people were full of words and hopes and dreams and truths and promises about you and to you. But so far beyond that, God was with you. And looking back, maybe you can see it. The profound change happening in the presence of God, learning to live in hope. In this psalm, God does, makes, places, kills, brings, acts, parts, leads, hurls, strikes down, gives, remembers, saves. His actions are miraculous, creative, purposeful, strong, safety-producing, threat-diminishing, necessity-providing. His character is foremost, powerful, faithful, generous, caring, lovingly, steadfast, loyal, and good. And it's not just confined to the 15th to the 3rd century. It's not just confined to freshmen or sophomore year, because, well, junior year. And I quote, oh, wow. jerk face Jeremy. So if this year had not existed, you wouldn't have ever met me. You would be broke due to all the gas you would have bought. You would be in better shape because you would be walking everywhere. And I almost forgot about that until I realized he was coming into town. Halfway through junior year, I started driving and I would either drive my granddad's big Chevy Silverado long bed or, or my dad's 1991 Ford F-350 Dually, both clearly gas guzzlers. And so I needed to make some money to pay for the gas. And so my first job, if we want to even call it a job, was teaching bass guitar. And now I don't know anything about the fundamentals of music. I don't know how to read music. I'm like the worst if you wanted to get bass lessons. And I taught this squirrely kid bass lessons for like $10 to put gas in my truck. And uh, I don't know how this racket turned out. I almost forgot about it until I heard he was coming into town. And I wish I could tell you that he went on to go be like bass master of the world, touring in all these rock bands. Like I didn't teach him anything about bass. I don't think I taught him anything about anything. And totally not because of anything I did. Somehow Cameron Custance was touched so radically by God's goodness and steadfast love that he and his wife, Lisa, and the boys serve as missionaries, radically sharing God's goodness and steadfast love literally to the ends of the earth. So with no further ado, Cameron Custance. Thanks, bro. <laughs> oh. You know, I'm just always living for Jeremy's approval from those bass lessons. I thought he was the coolest guy. He had longer hair then, um, and I'm still waiting to go surfing with him. So I've been waiting 15 plus years. So maybe this trip. But um, gosh, the steadfast love of God. Isn't God so good to all of us? No matter our circumstances, our trials, our tribulations, or our mountaintop moments, God's love really does remain the same. Um, my wife and I, Elisa, and my two boys, Ryder and Sebastian, uh, we serve as long-term missionaries reaching Norway and also many different nations. I've had the honor of preaching the gospel in over 20 nations now from Norway to Germany to Oman, Afghanistan, Dubai, and we lived in 
Nepal for four and a half years and had the honor of helping to start a youth movement in a nation called Bhutan. It's, they call it the land of the thunder dragon. What a name for a country. Um, and gosh, life is difficult. Can I get an amen? <laughs> I think statistically, us as humans will face between five to seven tragedies or significant hardships in our life. And yet when we face those things, God's steadfast love remains the same. We were happily serving in Nepal. I thought I would live and die in the Himalayas. We were, re- we were spending years reaching remote Himalayan people groups. I had a Honda 250 dirt bike I would strap saddlebags on and go rip into the mountains with all my Nepali buddies, visiting villages, planting churches. And in the midst of that, we felt like the Lord began to speak transition to us. And my wife is from Norway, and we felt like the Lord began to give us a burden for this Western European nation. And I made my wife make a vow before I proposed to her when we were dating. I said, you need to know, um, I'm going to live and die in the dirt of Asia. And so you need, to, you need to make a vow that we will never live in Norway. And if you can agree to that, then, then we can do this thing. And I'm going to live and die in the field. And I think now we've been living in Norway for two years, and my wife hears the Lord way better than I do. <laughs> and, you know, it's interesting because th- when you think of Norway, you think of these beautiful fjords. You think of these beautiful cities, you know, uh, a good quality of life, all of these realities. But we are really living in post-Christian society, maybe similar to what we might be facing in California in the coming days, if not for revival. of the nation regularly attends church every Sunday, 2%. And the three giants of secularism, pluralism, and materialism are pulling people out of the church. Um, And I was preaching the gospel a couple months ago in a McDonald's out there with some friends, and we were hanging out getting some burgers, and I saw these teenagers, and I walked up to them, and guys, I've been sharing the gospel for Yeah, eight, nine years, it's still super awkward to do stranger evangelism. Hey, how's it going? Nice to meet you. I'm Cameron. They're like, yeah, what's up, dude? But in Norway, I can kind of pull the loud, obnoxious American card in a very kind of quiet Scandinavian culture. So I can kind of just barge in and be American. They said, hey, um, have you guys ever heard of Jesus before? Have you ever heard of the gospel? Do Do you know anything about Jesus? And these five teenagers looked at me, and every single one of them uh, said, no, we have no idea who that person is. And this is 20 minutes from my house in Norway. And um, on one hand, that's so sad. Two generations ago, between 35 and 50% of the country was attending church regularly every Sunday. On the other hand, we have this incredible opportunity to preach the gospel again to reach another generation of young people with the message of the hope of Jesus, of the steadfast love of God, and for them to have a fresh relationship with God with no baggage of the past or or church politics or things like that. Last year, um, I had the incredible opportunity to um, be a part of leading this event called The Send. Um, It's a missional event, stadium gathering. It started in Florida in 2019, 2020. I think right before COVID. And um, we had the opportunity to bring this whole missional event to Norway. And we got told by everybody, if you want to have a big Christian event or festival, don't do it about missions. No one's going to come. 
You know, again, 2% attending church regularly, right? No one's going to come. Uh, if you do like a more me-centered music festival or something, you'll get people to come. But missions? I don't know. And so we took on this huge financial risk, and the event was centered around four outcomes. It was, challenge, it was going to be the challenge whoever came to reach their neighborhoods with the gospel, to reach children at risk, foster care, adoption with the gospel, to reach schools and universities, young people with the gospel, and then also to be willing to move long-term overseas to reach the unreached with the gospel. And so we went on and we went on and we only kind of knew one way to uh, mobilize for this. And so we got 40 young people between the age of 20, or 18 and 23 to hop in ghetto old missionary Volkswagen vans and drive across Norway preaching the gospel wherever they could. Every youth group, every, every high school, any open door they can get into to preach the message of the gospel and the Great Commission and invite people to come to this event in the summer of 2022. And so I think our break-even financially is like 4,000 people, you know, and we've never, we've never done this before. And uh, three months before the event, we get called by the head of the uh, Secular Humanist Society of Norway, the entire nation, like the presidents of this society. And he was a Christian in his youth and walked away from the Lord and just is really bitter towards the gospel. And he called us three months before, and he called my friend who was leading it, and he said, hey, just so you know, I'm going to do everything in my power to defraud and defame you and make this event not happen. Just so you know, I'm, I'm contacting newspapers and journalists. We're going to do everything we can to keep this event from happening. So have a good day and hung up the phone. And we, well, we only knew, did what we knew what to do was to pray and ask God for his steadfast love to manifest in our midst. Because the reality is there's so many projects, there's so many needs, there's so many there's so many things that we can do, but we only want to do what we see our Father doing. And, and yet we're facing all these difficulty, and we're a bunch of broke missionaries believing to cover the finances on this huge stadium and gather people for missions. And the only thing we could really lean on was this, the steadfast love of God. We could look to 2,000 years of church history 300 years it took for the church to get established through persecution and martyrdom, and then constant Christian growth for the past 1,700 years. And we could look to that, and we could take hope. And where, where many would say that Europe and Norway is post-Christian, we began to say, no, I think we believe it's pre-revival. It's not a matter of if God will move in our, in our midst. It's just a matter of when. And we can't understand timings and seasons, but what we do know is that the steadfast love of God endures forever. And so on June 25th of uh, last year, we gathered 9,000 Norwegian young people. It was unbelievable. And um, we were just all full of tears the whole day. We just didn't, God was up to something. And we're now, after that event, we're still continuing to do tours, preaching the gospel across Norway. And through our team, we're seeing Norwegian youth every week giving their lives to Jesus. There's this small little church of 40 people, average age 75 probably. And two months ago, they just started having these worship services. And for the past two months, every Sunday, more than 2,000 people are coming to their church. It's unbelievable. 
And so we still read the statistics, you know, 2%. We, 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 know, we know that is, that is true. And yet we can take hope, not in our own ambition, not in our own ability, but in the steadfast love of God. So I just want to share a video from the event. And uh, yeah, invite the worship team up. And um, yeah, we just, I think even, I'm a, I'm a Camarillo kid, you know? And um, I think California is facing some of these same things as, as Norway is. And gosh, we don't know what God will do in our day. We don't know if another Jesus movement will happen in our day. Or maybe that's for our, our kids. Maybe that's for a future generation. But I think what we can do and what we do know is that God's steadfast love endures forever. And that we as a church can stay missional. We've been given a mission field. It's our neighborhoods. It's our workplace. It's our families. For some of us, it's moving to the unreached. But we have a mandate to go and make disciples, both in Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth, both locally and globally. And we, we can't be deterred by what we see or the fruit that we see. I'm a horrible evangelist. I have a really low success rate in seeing people give their lives to Jesus. But I still do it. Why? Because I just know the steadfast love of God endures forever. And, and we just need to be a faithful witness so that God can be put on display wherever we go. And so we're going to go into some worship. And um, I just want us to get a little practical on Father's Day. So maybe we can stand up. And um, I just want us to ask the Lord in this, this brief time of worship, Lord, what is the one kind of adjustment I need to make in my life so that I can live in the revelation of your steadfast love? Is that maybe putting aside your phones so that you can have more time with the Lord? Is that praying with your spouses a little bit more? Is it just asking the Lord, Lord, where are ways that we can, I can live in this reality so that I can, when I take these steps of faith to be a witness, it's not like I'm stepping into nothing. It's standing in the assurance of your love. And then also I just want to ask the Lord, Lord, who is it that I'm meant to share this love with? Is there a family member that, yeah, maybe I did some wrongs too. And maybe I only have 5% to do with the situation. But is there someone in my life that I just need to extend that, that conversation out to? Is there someone in my neighborhood who's hurting and broken that I just need to have coffee with and have them over to my house and maybe take that bold step to actually pray for them? Maybe you felt like you should for a while. So as we enter in, I just want, to, I just want us to ask the Lord of those things and 
Maybe I would challenge you on the car rides home today to, to talk with those you came in the car with about what God was speaking to you in this time. So thank you, and uh, yeah, let's pray. So Lord, we love you. We thank you for your steadfast love. Lord, we thank you that we can stand on, on that, that you are our firm foundation. And Lord, we, we just know that you've called us to be a witness, a witness of your steadfast love wherever we might go, Jesus. And so Holy Spirit, in your kindness, would you show us how we can look more like you and walk more in your ways. In Jesus' name, amen.